Welcome to the Nourished and Nurturing Podcast. We're two holistic-minded moms with a passion for real food and raising healthy, empowered children. We want to provide a safe and educational, judgment-free zone for supporting women as they journey into motherhood and discover the mom they were meant to be. I'm Marissa of Confidently Balanced. I'm a former speech-language pathologist turned nutritional therapy practitioner and have a passion for all things health, wellness, and mindset. I'm also a mama to a little guy with a big personality. And I'm Michelle. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner student. I have a degree in Thai massage and a master's in business analytics. I'm a mama to a little one and have another one on the way. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical concern. Recording and then. Hello. Hey. (laughs) How are you? I am well. We are back for episode three. We are already at three. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah, we're in the middle of, uh, we had a nice picnic planned this morning with a group I'm, like a local group I'm in, and it rained for an hour and a half today, like exactly during the picnic time. (laughs) Um, So we're actually trying to get there outside right now, like trying to burn off a little energy since we kind of sat inside earlier today, but gosh. In such a wet day going? Pretty good. General toddler wrangling. We're working through a lot of big <laughs> feelings this week, I think. I want to blame the full moon, but I just don't think I can. <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting through it. Um, we were just outside and my husband was spending time with Henry and he came running up to me and said, he just ate this red berry in the yard and <laughs> instantly started Googling. I think we're okay. <laughs> okay. It's like some species of strawberry. It's this tiny little thing, but. Oh, that scares me less than the little round berries. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And you like wait outside and see if the birds eat it to know if it's poisonous. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little terrifying. They're quick, those little ones. Quick (laughs) hands. (laughs) Yes, they are. (laughs) Oh, so today we're talking about a birth plan, setting up birth yeah. plans. Yeah. I did come up with another icebreaker question. Well, since our it. audience doesn't know us very well yet. <laughs> um, what are some of your favorite games to play? I've got to be honest with you. I was never a game person growing up. Okay. Yeah. Any kind of games like sports, board games? Oh, like- I, d- I didn't play sports at all throughout school. Okay. I had this perfectionist mentality and also just a- this deep fear of looking foolish. I don't know. I, <laughs> I had to work through a lot of stuff. <laughs> Lots of weird. Like you're fine with that now though. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. So I never played sports. Um, my mom and my sister played card <laughs> games. I never got into that, but I guess... Pictionary, if I have to pick something, I don't know. Pictionary. Okay. Um, with the right partner, it cannot be my husband. We cannot be on the same team. <laughs> That's funny you say that because my family plays this card game. It's called Whist. Um, like my my mom's from North Dakota and her family plays it. Hmm. And it's similar to Bridge, I guess. I've never played Bridge, but people have said that. And I cannot be partners with my husband. Like, 
<laughs> he drives me absolutely crazy. Um, so we like to play, but like usually my sister will pair with him. <laughs> Somebody has to pick the husband. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I called not Scott. And <laughs> I'm go from there. Um, What's your favorite game? Is that one of your favorites or? Well, that one's hard because it takes like exactly four people. Um, But we're actually, so I'm actually a big game person, uh, like really into board games. But me and my husband play this game all the time now and it's called Dominion. Mm -hmm. And this is going to sound so nerdy because it like, um, it like has all this like medieval lettering and we have the game and then six expansion packs for the game to like give you more cards. And we just like got into it when Connor was really little and he would take baths in our kitchen sink and we would just like play this game for a half an hour. And he was like happy splashing around and we could see him and it was just, it was fun. That sounds so fun. (laughs) Yeah. But I think he's like over the sink bath now um that's a sad day it is like and I mean I'm probably gonna get kicked off of a mom's podcast for this but we don't bathe him that often now because we only have we don't have like a normal size tub the bathroom like the the bathroom near his room just has a shower and then our bathroom has a huge jacuzzi tub with these big steps and um so it's like sometimes I'll bathe with him, but our great, our, my mom and my husband's mom do bathe him when they wash him sometimes. So he seems clean enough, but yeah, <laughs> he's not getting that good. nightly bath from us anymore. Yeah, we're, we're not into the nightly thing either. More so in the summer because the kid is dirty. <laughs> All the things. <laughs> But, we had that today with the rain. He was splashing around in the puddles. So. Yes, puddles. What a hit! <laughs> yeah, but no, I miss I miss the sink bath because that was just like our time. Yeah, <laughs> but if I'm just like sitting in the bathroom with him, that doesn't sound too exciting. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> All, right. All right. So yeah, we just wanted to talk about. Um, setting up a birth plan and we you and I talked about this before kind of getting ready for this episode of I don't even know what percentage of people are putting a birth plan together but I'm hearing about it more and more and it seems like we want to know what we're getting into choosing our providers and what options are available for different things And so it seems to be becoming more and more popular that we, we just want to be more involved in the decision-making process where I think it was common, especially in our parents' generation, like you just did whatever your doctor said. And now we want to be involved in, you know, these are the things that are really important to me in this process, or this is what will make me more comfortable. And So we're just going to talk through different things to consider that you might want to put into your birth plan. And um, especially with your first kid, you kind of don't know how it's going to be, but you want to make sure you can advocate for yourself, make sure you're comfortable. But of course, there are a lot of regulations in hospitals that limit the choices you can make. So ideally you're talking about this with your providers ahead of time. Like you're showing your birth plan 
to your providers before you go into labor so that you're on the same page. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Having a say in all of this is so empowering. And I think more people, like you said, are wanting to step into that role and just have a voice when it comes to their birth. Yeah. And no judgment if you are one of those people that you're just fine with doing whatever your doctor normally does. And that's what makes you most comfortable. But if there are things that you want to have a say in, we're just here to kind of talk about that and what kind of what kinds of things can you ask for and how did those conversations go in our pregnancies and in our labor and delivery since we are not experts, but we have, we have had babies. Yes, we have very different yeah. stories too. So I find that, I think that's helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I won't go into a full story, but um, I did want to talk about, choosing providers and something for me was finding people that I was in line with that I felt like had similar values to me in this birth process. I was, I was pretty sure I wanted, um, a more, I don't like saying natural birth, but let's say unmedicated and kind of trusting your body to do what it needs to do as much as possible. And I know that's not always like, not everything is always going to go right, but I just wanted to have a provider that I could trust. And I know was going to make choices in line with what I wanted. And so I had a doula and my chiropractor that I've I've probably known her for seven years now. So maybe four years before I got pregnant and she was going through becoming a doula. And we talked about that when I was uh, getting chiropractic adjustments and I don't even necessarily get adjustments that regularly, but when I need them, I go to her. So it would be like, I wouldn't necessarily go for four months and then I'd go several times in a few months and see her. But, um, just her talking about how that was going for her and what she wanted to be able to provide for women. Like her and I were very aligned with how we felt about things and just, um, just really making the woman as comfortable as she can be and supporting her in the process because you, it is such a big, you're such a big part of this. And there's often this opinion of the providers of, um, like A leads to B for everybody rather than let's look at this specific woman in this specific circumstance and give her what she needs. Um, and I guess that's just our, our kind of medical system in general where you want to cure a symptom or I, I'm going on a tangent, but just... I, I mean, we learned that in the NTP, like look at bioindividuality. You're not treating a disease, you're treating a person. And, um, yeah. So that was important to me, like finding somebody that I knew would like work with me and work with me in the moment and not have a canned response to everything. Um, so I picked my doula really early and she gave me some options for midwife groups in a hospital that would be more of a natural natural type of birth or that would support that and as we were going through the options like 
so she was the one I talked through, like, how do I choose my provider? Um, and I believe I said at that point, I would never have a home birth. Um, I, I think my biggest concern was the mess and like things being sterile. Um, but I, I just kind of thought it was weird going into the pregnancy and I wanted to find a hospital where I, I could have my baby. Um, but for me, the priority was kind of just like finding, finding somewhere where I could be supported. It didn't really matter where I had the baby. So, um, but then I did end up switching to a home birth plan at about 30 weeks. It, it kind of, it probably took me three weeks to switch. I was seeing both for a little bit in there cause I was, I was not totally sure, but, um, we did end up switching pretty late in my pregnancy and it kind of just goes into that. Like I, I didn't necessarily feel supported by my other providers and, um, we just met the home home birth midwife and I can't speak for all home birth midwives, but, uh, she's an incredible person. <laughs> I would love to have her on the podcast sometime. Yeah. So that just goes to show. Yeah. You can switch. <laughs> you have a say. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of places don't let you switch after 32 weeks or they have kind of rules about certain things, but what, I've found at least with my midwife is a lot of those rules don't necessarily apply um, that the hospitals have to stick to like a home birth midwife is going to look at the individual and say, okay, was she getting proper prenatal care? Do I feel comfortable that she's had a healthy pregnancy because they don't want to take a home birth if you have any risks um, it's just safer to be in a hospital if you have a high risk pregnancy. So, um, so that, that's their big thing is to make sure you're expected to have a healthy delivery and not have to be transferred to a hospital. So, Mm -hmm. um, so do you want to talk at all about choosing your providers? Yeah. Um, I know for me personally, we were in this weird transition where we weren't sure if we were moving when I was pregnant, we thought that we were, and then we weren't. And it was just this, um, very frustrating back and forth. And I initially went with the OB that I had been seeing since we had lived in Buffalo. And because we didn't know what we were doing, I didn't want to switch only to switch again if we moved. So I was in this very large practice. I believe there were eight or nine doctors and I had to see all of them not knowing who was going to deliver my baby. So that for me was not what I wanted. Um, I was very frustrated by that. They were, they were nice people. Um, but again, in a big practice like that, you know, they kind of pushed how they thought things should go and what I should choose onto me. Um, when I was in the hospital, I was very lucky (laughs) with my nurse, but yeah, it was, I didn't feel like I had a voice or it was a very, very soft voice and things that I wanted were very much against what is recommended traditionally by most mainstream medical providers. So they didn't necessarily love that. So there was a lot of pushback and that was frustrating because it was me, it was my body, it was my baby, but there was a lot, um, a lot of give and take there. And did that feel really important to you at the time? 
Or was it more like, I don't know. Staying with them or? That like having this voice or having this part of the decision or is it more looking back? Yeah, it really did. Um, I felt that I didn't feel very empowered and I'm one that would usually just kind of shy away from that kind of pushback and not really say what I wanted or just kind of roll with what they were suggesting or recommending. But this was one of the times where I was very proud of myself and actually put my foot down more than once. And, um, great. They, yeah, they were, they had to be receptive to it. You know, they didn't really have a choice. They couldn't force me to do certain things, but it was, it was a very eye-opening experience, especially knowing the other options and knowing what I would have chosen had we not been in this weird transition, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. When, when you're talking about these choices, are you talking about things during your prenatal care or during labor? Both. Um, I have the RH factor. So getting the Rogam shot was something that was heavily researched by me and things like the, is it the Tdap or the, the Tdap vaccination, you know, things like that. Um, and even just having a say in what happened after my baby was born, certain, sh- you know, we'll get into this, but like the shots and the eye drops yeah. and all of that stuff, they, they have their way. And that was the only way. And, you know, I was just okay. too, too out there for <laughs> what they wanted. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited because, um, cause I went through the prenatal care in a hospital, but I obviously didn't go through the actual birth in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I noticed, um, so for those of you who are local, I chose a Swedish covenant hospital and it was a midwives group that it was similar to what you're saying is I think they had 12 midwives and they wanted you to see a variety of them because you didn't know who would be at your birth. And that didn't necessarily bother me. I'm not, I'm not really a private person, so I was kind of fine with um, whoever being there. Um, For me, I just really wanted to be comfortable that I had a voice. And I think I have something similar to what you said, where um, you have trouble sticking up for yourself a little bit. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when I'm faced with conflict, I will shut down a little bit and just kind of agree and then be extremely upset about it. So this is something I'm dealing with a lot in my life now with, um, you know, my marriage and my work situation and things like that. But um, the, like during the prenatal care, a lot of times going through a big hospital like that, um, it felt like I was a bit more of a number. Like if you want to talk to something uh, you want to talk to your doctor, go through this online portal and submit your question. And I'd have to do it more than once to get a response. And you couldn't just pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Um, and that's, that's going to be a lot of the hospitals. Um, I'm in sh- the Chicagoland area. So it, there's a lot of people and I get that they don't have time to necessarily do that. But also in most of the prenatal appointments, I was in and out and probably five minutes once the midwife got in there, they, they had a few questions and that was it. Um, because I was healthy, I was gaining the right amount of weight and that's kind of their basic checklist and I met it. So, um, but, and I do think my doula recommended 
Swedish because they do have the midwives group. They do support more options than a lot of the hospitals in the area. But what, and I I don't want to get into a debate about this, but where we kind of came to a head was with the uh, gestational diabetes testing with the glucola. And this is something I heavily researched and the options that were allowed by my hospital were either to take the glucola, you could take a couple other of these like artificially, um, like artificial sugar drinks or something. So they did have other options other than just the glucola. Like I think maybe jelly beans was one of them. And, um, but I still don't tend to eat a lot of sugar and I just didn't really want to do that. And, but it's also something I'm not totally against, but the third option was just to take your own blood sugar four times a day at home. And I liked this option because I thought it's also going to give me more information about how is my body reacting to what I'm putting into it. Um, and you know, I'm into this kind of stuff. Like if my blood sugar was higher after I ate certain things, I want to learn to avoid those things for the rest of my pregnancy. If I take glucola and it shot my blood sugar up a little bit, like I'm not, I'm not all the way to gestational diabetes, but it's higher than I wanted it to be. I'm not learning, oh, don't drink this anymore when you're pregnant because that's something we don't consume. But if I was uh, having like more of a blood sugar response to bananas when I was pregnant, because your blood sugar does change during pregnancy and that's why you're doing these tests. Um, I want to learn to avoid those things to give a more stable blood sugar level for my baby. Um, So that was the option that I wanted and it was completely allowed by the hospital. Um, And I just didn't feel supported. So I came in with my two weeks of blood sugar logs, like every single number was fine. I did not have gestational diabetes. And they said, okay, so now you're at 30 weeks yet at 28 weeks was when I started having to do this. And they said, you have to keep taking it four times a day for the rest of the pregnancy, which is not what I was told initially. Um, that you, you did have to take it, but it was once or twice a day or something. Mm-hmm. And the woman really seemed to judge me for it. Like, I don't know why you'd want to deal with this or why, I don't know why you'd want to do this. She wasn't saying, are you sure you want to keep taking this? I'm sorry. It's the hospital's policy that you have to. Um, she was, she was judgy about it. And I just remember uh, my husband didn't go to this appointment and I went back down to my car. My heart was beating so fast. I was so upset. And I called Scott and I was just like, this woman really upset me. (laughs) And so we just started looking into other options. Um, So there's another like birth center that's um, that's south of the city in Oak Park that I kind of looked at. And, but that would have been about an hour potentially an hour in traffic to get there. And then uh, we looked at home birth midwives. And um, and just for me, because I, again, I didn't speak up at all. I got, I 
went down to the car. I think I cried and (laughs) I was upset about it. I didn't want to have to feel like that during my labor or right after I had my baby um, that I had to deal with this inner conflict, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, and I, and I was very lucky to be able to switch and that she was able to, because the home birth midwife, she can only take one birth a week on average or uh, because there's only one of her and she has to be there. So um, I was, I was very lucky to find somebody and then find somebody who was so supportive, but that was just what I went through and what was important to me. I I just want to be heard and be respected because I I did do a lot of research going into this and there's no reason to judge me. Um, And I got a lot of the, this isn't best for your baby kind of manipulative talk. And I just wasn't okay with that. Yeah. That's really Yeah. And a lot of it just isn't based on science, but they can throw out, uh, they'll just throw out there like you're, you're harming your baby by doing this and it's unfounded. Totally. The fear mongering and pregnancy, (laughs) the whole thing surrounding that is so frustrating. So that was my experience. And if, if going through like the same exact experience and I felt supported, but they're just like, Oh, I'm really sorry. Uh, but you have to take the glucola, like fine. Right. <laughs> it wasn't about that. And I'm certainly not telling anybody not to have it. I just like of the options, I chose one and I was following all the rules and I was still not respected. So, yeah. Um, but it ended up being great. Um, just, just, I'll, I'll speak really quick to the care. Once I switched to the home birth midwife, she had my husband go, she asked about our relationship, how we handle conflict, like my personal mental health history. And when, when do I know if things are getting, uh, if I'm getting past the point where I'm healthy, I guess, or things like that. And she did have me start seeing a therapist before going into having my birth, just so in case I had any postpartum issues, I had established care with someone and it was easy to just make an appointment rather than having to find somebody, do all that intake stuff. And um, I ended up not really needing it. I used it a little bit after the birth, but Um, I, I really respected that and it wasn't something I necessarily wanted to do, but I knew she was listening to me and making that recommendation based on her expertise and my well-being. And so it just comes from a different place. So, and then I, I will note that even though I passed all the blood sugar numbers, um, with the hospital care, they marked me as having a high risk pregnancy because if you refuse the test, you're automatically assumed to have gestational diabetes. Come on. So, um, I, I found that out like later when I was billed for the prenatal care. So, oh my goodness, that was interesting. So that, that seemed like kind of a rant, but that was just for me, my big priority was wanting to feel supported and respected as a part of the process. And whatever anyone's priority is, um, 
just make sure that's getting met because there's different options out there. And yeah, absolutely. And I know there's oftentimes fear around midwives and birth centers and home births, but it's really completely unfounded. And like you said, if you have a low risk pregnancy and um, are comfortable with your provider, they're obviously comfortable with you and have everything laid out. There's really no reason for that fear. Um, Yeah. And it really depends what you're looking at, but I'm a statistician and that was actually what put me over the edge with choosing a home birth is the numbers are undoubtedly better. Uh, The C-section rates are about 2% with home births versus 33% with, um, do with hospital births. That's what, what it is in the U S it's higher in certain areas. And I am not judging C-sections if you want to do that. Um, but for me, looking at the numbers, there was lower rates of, of all, all types of problems with the home birth. And it's because they don't jump to interventions. Um, yeah. I remember when I was, first diving into this whole birth plan world, I just kept reading about the cascade of interventions, the cascade of interventions. And like you said, no judgment, you know, everyone's just doing the best for themselves and their baby, but it just really scared me. And this was something I had a lot of fear around this being in the hospital myself was that they were going to try and rush things or um, one thing wouldn't go quote, right. And then, you know, we'd be down this rabbit hole of of interventions and procedures that weren't necessarily needed. Yeah. Um, Well, and we'll have to do birth stories at some point on the podcast, but I do think I probably would have ended up with a C-section if I was in the hospital with how my birth went. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, but back to birth plans. (laughs) Um, So once you, I I think choosing your providers is at the top of my list, like just know what choices you have and do you have somebody that's willing to work with you because a birth plan for uh, even a midwife group in a hospital might be very different than an OB and that might be very different than a home birth because of just what, what options are available to you. So that's why talking through some of these things is great. And you might be surprised if you say, I'm really interested in this and they're like, Oh yeah, we do that. And if you didn't ask, you never would have known. Yeah. So, um, so one of the things to consider and that I think is really good to talk about ahead of time is who do you want at your birth? Um, For me, like I said, I'm not a very private person and uh, I did have this idea of being in labor that it would be kind of like a party and we'd be hanging out at the house and uh, and then I'd have a baby and um, it wasn't exactly like that, but I did have, um, I gave birth in my master bathroom and after Connor was born, there were 10 of us in that bathroom. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> nine, nine before he was born. Oh so, my gosh. And so that was really special for me. Um, but I know a lot of people who 
do not want people there. And it's really best to have these conversations ahead of time. Like it's really important for me and my husband to have 24 hours before anyone visits or, you know, if you, if you don't want people to visit you at the hospital, tell them that. And it's, it's just a, it's such a transformative time that it should be how you want it to be and not, you know, there were a couple of times when I was in labor and my mom and my mother-in-law were like chatting in the next room. And I just look over at my midwife and I'm like, who's talking? (laughs) And then they ran out and took care of it. (laughs) Like, yeah, no. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. I was very much the opposite. My mom really wanted to be part of it. And I just, I didn't want anybody there. I mean, obviously there were a million nurses and doctors in the hospital, but it was my husband and I the whole way through. And I knew after I had him, um, we were allowed some time at the hospital. I don't remember if this is something I asked for or if this is just what they did. And this hospital, I will say, was actually, it really impressed me with the quality of care, you know, mother and newborn afterwards. But um, I just wanted time with just the three of us in that room. And we had probably a good two hours before. And my mother was like knocking down walls at that point, but (laughs) it was just really important to me just to have that little bubble where we could just really absorb it because geez, labor is crazy. And it's such a blur. And (laughs) I just, I needed that. Mostly I spent it eating multiple trays of food, but you know, there you go. (laughs) Baby eating the food. But yeah, for us, because my labor was so long, it was nice being at home. And like my husband, like they kind of did shifts, like my mom and my mother-in-law were in with me for a while. And then he would be in with me. Like I was just in, in my bed, all the lights off, like trying to rest as much as I could through all the contractions. But I think that was really nice for my husband to get to eat and, you know, just not have to be the only, the only one there. Um, but it did take a lot of talking ahead of time, like, okay. And if I want you to leave, you have to leave. And it's nothing personal. Like I I told both my mom and my mother-in-law that, and, um, and then I just said like, okay, and you're kind of on food duty. Like if I want smoothies, you have to make smoothies or whatever it is. Um, so Yeah, it was, I talked a lot ahead of time just to make sure, make sure everybody was on board with what I wanted. So, yeah, yeah, that communication is, but I do think most people are more like you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're not trying to turn their birth into a family party. I mean, it does sound fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I think environment is something good to think about, like what's available in terms of lighting or music or noise, or do they let you have food and drink? Um, I think it's still pretty uncommon to allow food and drink in hospitals, but it's becoming more so because the evidence is just coming out that it's not necessary to limit food. Um, what it, the reason it's done is in case you get put under general anesthesia for a C-section, they don't want you, they don't want to have the food in your system for that. 
Um, but that is extremely rare. Most, most C-sections are done with the epidural. So, um, food was not something that they really permitted me to have, but I smuggled my own in anyways. <laughs> so yeah. And that's another thing. Like some, sometimes the, did they know you smuggled it in? Um, I think my nurse kind of caught on at the end, but yeah, because a lot of them will kind of just look the other way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, like bringing, bringing things in your hospital bag, if you're comfortable sneaking things in, or I didn't really want to eat a ton. Like my, uh, my doula and my midwife were kind of making me eat to conserve my energy again, because my labor was quite long. Um, but I, I drank so much coconut water. Like, mm. yeah, I, I think I had like the big one liter bottles of the, it's like the $10, like raw coconut water. And it's like so good. Yeah. But I think I drank like six to eight of those. Oh my gosh. <laughs> somebody, somebody had to go out on a run because I only bought two for the labor. And then, uh, so I had like a smoothie early on, but it was just kind of like not appetizing. Yeah. I, I thought I would want to eat more and I packed yeah. nut butter packs and things like yep. things. Um, but I wasn't into it either. I just, yeah, I tried. It didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, smoothies are, I think good. Um, coconut water was amazing. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then where do you plan to give birth? Um, that for most people in the hospital, that's on the hospital bed. For me, I kind of had some different areas set up in my home, none of which I ended up using. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think lighting can be really nice if they let you adjust the lighting or do things like that. I don't. Did you have any control over your environment? Um, not that much actually, but it is, I will say very harsh in the hospital as you would expect. So I wish I would have done. And I don't even think I really asked because I labored at home for a long time and I just kind of got there and it was just kind (laughs) of get through the last little bit, but yeah, that's definitely important to note. I, I would imagine they would let you if you, you know, that's part of your plan. Yeah. Um, So then the monitoring is something that's, I think, really good to talk about so you know what to expect. So do they require continuous monitoring? Uh, A lot of places will require continuous monitoring for a half hour. And then if everything's fine, they'll let you take it off and walk around. But if you don't ask for that, a lot of times they're leaving you hooked up the entire time. Um, So I, I think that's nice if you want to be able to walk around to ask them about that ahead of time. And then, you know, okay, I got to my half hour, let's unhook. Um, So for me, I wanted to use a a fetoscope rather than a Doppler uh, if possible, just uh, um, to kind of eliminate some of the, the, I don't know what you call it, but like the, um, this is going to have to be edited. <laughs> what do you call that when you have like the, you know, like. Not EMFs. I don't, I'm not Like the ultrasound? Yeah. The Doppler waves or. What is that? E... I don't know. Um. <laughs> 
So for me, my preference was to use a fetoscope rather than a Doppler, if at all possible. And I didn't have to do any continuous monitoring. It was very non-invasive and they just kept, I don't know, checking according to their schedule that I was totally unaware of. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then talking about cervical checks, do you want uh, minimal cervical checks was on my birth plan, but during my actual birth, I found that I wanted to be checked a lot because um, my labor was going slow and I wanted to know I was making progress. Like, okay, I'm at, I'm at eight. Am I at nine now? Like I, it was just like almost a competitive kind of thing <laughs> um, where I like really wanted to know I was making progress because it's hard. Very. <laughs> I'm like, am I accomplishing anything? Um, so that was something that, um, I had heard that the cervical checks aren't super comfortable and that you might want to avoid them, but that was not what I found for personally. It didn't bother me. And I just wanted to know. Yeah. I was very similar. I didn't <laughs> notice that honestly. And that was something I wanted to limit. It was in my birth plan to try to limit those. And okay. Yeah. Once I got in there, I was like, just, just check me. <laughs> yeah. Tell me I'm doing a good job. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, and then the rupturing of the membranes. So that's something that they can help along or you can wait until it happens naturally. Sometimes if they rupture the membranes, it can cause the labor to really, really intensify quickly. Um and the hospital's goal a lot of times is let's get this baby out where you might want to wait until your body naturally is ready to get there. Um, and that was something that I wanted them to rupture naturally rather than having a provider do that. Yeah. So, but again, not, not against it. Um, it's just something that you probably want to look into what does that mean when this happens and what, what tends to happen next if mm -hmm. they do this? So something yeah. to look into. Definitely. Definitely. And I know pain management was very important to me. That was one of the things since the provider felt very much out of my control, pain management felt very much in my control. And, um, that was, that was one of the biggest things on my birth plan was how I wanted to handle the pain so some things to think about if you are in a hospital setting, do you want an epidural? Do you want to go completely unmedicated? That's personally what I chose. And I felt very strongly about that. So that was something that I told all of my providers, just so every single doctor in that practice heard me, my husband was on board, um, the nurses when we were actually in that room, that's what I wanted. And I told them that, you know, Obviously, you go in expecting the unexpected for the most part. I kept telling myself, this is my plan. Things might change, but that was something I didn't want to waver on. So if that's you and you feel very strongly, well, either direction, whether you want the medical interventions or you don't, you got to write that down. You got to tell everybody. <laughs> um, but there are other options to manage pain as well. What I did was I sat on a birthing ball. My son was actually 
posterior. So I had back labor the entire time. So all of the things, and this is a good example of all the things that I thought I wanted to do and that were on my birth plan went out the window. Um, Aside from the epidural, I thought I wanted to get up and walk to try to manage the pain in that way. I got up for about 30 seconds and I was over it and I was on my hands and knees again. And, um, but walking can be a great way to manage pain. Water, um, if water is an option in the hospital, there was some, there was one hospital near me and I don't know if there are more moving this way, but they had birthing tubs. Mine did not. So um, I was in the shower and that felt heavenly on my back. (laughs) My my husband was just back there with the little shower head, just spraying me. And oh, that helped a lot. So water therapy is something to think about too. And again, with the monitoring, if you are in a hospital, um, that's just something that you're going to have to talk to your care providers about whether they can unhook you and for how long and all of that. And just really making that known. The birthing ball for me was another way to manage pain that was, it was nice. And then it wasn't nice. (laughs) So a lot of this stuff for me, it's just trial and error. You know, you go in with this plan and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But um, I know one thing for me that worked really well with my son being sunny side up, as they so lovingly called it, was (laughs) (laughs) pressure. Um, I was on my hands and knees and my husband was pushing on my hips as hard as he could during a contraction. And that was really, really helpful. I mean, as helpful as it can be to get through a contraction unmedicated. Um, Different points of your body, like massage techniques, acupressure techniques can be really useful for managing pain too. Um, And then, I don't know if you did any of this, Michelle, but hot and cold. I I was a hot person. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't really use cold as much. I thought maybe I would try to alternate, but heat helps me relax quite a bit. And then along those lines too, just visualizations, maybe an affirmation or a prayer, if that's your thing, you know, just something that can really bring you back into that moment and into your body and just breathe through it. Um, I just kept visualizing myself as open and things were flowing and I don't know if this is cliche or not, but the contractions were the waves and I was just riding them. And that's how I got through it. I mean, there was chaos around me being in the hospital, but I don't know how much of it I actually noticed because I was just so focused on getting through those contractions. Um, So I found that to be incredibly beneficial for pain management. But Yeah, to what you were talking about, about the pressure. So my son wasn't posterior, But I think at some point in my labor, he dropped and it gave me this pain on my coccyx, which they still can't really explain. Like I've asked about it after and um, he wasn't posterior. So I think he was just sitting on something weird, maybe a nerve. But so I went into labor and all night... I was up with every contraction. I had to stand up and lean against the wall because laying down really bothered me. And I don't think this is TMI because we're talking about births, but what really seemed to help me when I was in labor, I was laying on my side. I had three pillows under one knee. So my legs were really far apart. And I had somebody in 
behind me kind of like spreading my butt cheeks apart, like, like kind of opening up the hips and it took that pressure off of my back, whatever was happening there. So it was kind of a weird thing. And when I told you they took shifts, like it was kind of to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And so I got close to my mother-in-law in ways that I never had been before, but it was, you know, she was, she wanted to be part of the birth and it was like, okay, here's your job. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it just, um, and that was something my doula wasn't there at the time. She had come earlier in the day and left because I wasn't very far along. And I called her and I'm like, I just have this back pain. Can you help? And those were kind of her recommendations. And it did, I I was just trying to, since I didn't sleep all night, just trying to rest as much as I could, like in total darkness. And it was just um, every time I could. And then so with the relaxate or the water therapy that we talked about. So I did use water twice during my labor once was when I was at about three centimeters and I took a hot bath and it slowed down the labor a lot. And that was the goal at the time um, because I hadn't slept all night and I wasn't very far along. The midwife wanted to slow it down so that I could rest. Um, That was her big priority is make sure I'm supporting my body. And so that hot bath slowed the labor down and let me rest. And then uh, when the midwife was back and I was about eight centimeters, we also went in the water and that was not a pain management thing at all. Like it was just kind of other positions where I was on all fours between contractions, like trying to rest my head on the tub and then got on my back and legs up in the air. And um, I I liked the approach my midwife had, like she kind of would say, okay, put your leg up like this and I'm going to, you're, I'm going to push against it and you're going to push against me during this contraction. How does that feel? And I'm like, oh my God, that hurts so much worse. And she'd say, okay, we're going to do it for three more contractions. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, like her stance was that probably means it's working. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was, it was helpful for me to like, you know, like a workout when you're like, okay, I just have two minutes left. I can do this run versus like, if you're not timing yourself. So I I thought that was really helpful. And I think she just liked to mix it up. So it felt like you were doing something. So that tub, um, it was funny because my husband was in there and as we were getting out of the tub, he's like, Oh, was that a nice relaxing bath? And I just looked at him. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, <Nothing. laughs> yeah. And my midwife just that stuck out to her. Cause she's like, well, you never lost your sense of humor. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Just some of the other things. Um, I had the birthing ball and I also had, I don't, I don't remember if it's called like P90X or T90X, but one of those like things with the handles, my husband installed one in our bedroom because I thought that I wanted to just like hold on to that and squat out my baby. <laughs> I didn't use it, but, and I didn't use the birthing ball. Like it was just kind of like, I needed to, I needed to lay down and do what I needed to do. So Um, But then chemical interventions, you mentioned the epidural, but we, you also might want to think about Pitocin. So yes. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to, that's something that I do think, can you hear them? Mm-mm. Okay, sorry. Um, so Pitocin is something that a lot of doctors will recommend pretty easily if your labor isn't progressing at a certain rate. Um, you are taking up a hospital bed <laughs> while you're in labor. Um, and it's just something, again, to research and know if you want that to be a part of your plan or do you do you only want it to happen if the baby's in distress? Um, because there are situations where you do want that baby out as quickly as possible and the Pitocin might allow you to have the baby vaginally versus a C-section. Um, so there's great uses for it, but it's, it's helpful to put in your birth plan. Um, I don't want to use this unless X, Y, and Z or, um, whatever, whatever you want to consider. So, yeah. And also kind of just along the lines of what you were saying with your midwife and the positions she was moving you in and, you know, you had, you had a say in that. And that's another important thing to mention too, is will they allow you to get into different positions throughout labor and also delivery? And is that something that you want? Um, That was important for me again. And I think it helped a lot. Most of the time the hospital will have you on your back, legs up. And that's, you know, that's the end of that. But if that's not what you want and you want the option to squat or be on your hands and knees or in any other position, really, um, it's worth putting that in your plan or at least talking to your providers about if that's something that you'd be able to do. Yeah, and that's something where the continuous monitoring is going to come into play again, because if you're hooked up to all of this this monitoring, it's going to be difficult to move. Um, and also, obviously, an epidural. Like, you're, you're pretty much set in your position if you get an epidural. Yeah. <laughs> then move from there. Um, so, yeah, also during pushing... Um, if you're, if you want an episiotomy, so that's something I think is being done less and less often now they're allowing women to tear naturally, but there are places that still do do that pretty readily. So it's worth mentioning. I'd prefer to tear naturally. Um, because if you get an epidural, you do, you will for sure tear where, where they cut you. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> um, and it will be as severe as they may get versus um, natural tears might be smaller or easier to heal from. So again, worth looking into. Yeah. Um, something that was just wonderful for me. And well, I'm going to start by mentioning the positions. So I did most of my pushing on the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> it felt very easy. Like you have gravity working with you there. It's something where you're naturally engaging those muscles. I have a squatty potty, so it kind of allowed me to like hanker down and, and push, um, versus like, I think the P90X, if I was trying to hold myself in that position, um, it, it takes a lot more energy versus squatting on a toilet. So, um, so I got to feel how much 
he was moving with each contraction on the toilet versus we did uh, push when I was on my back for a little bit and I could feel how much he was moving and it was considerably less when I was laying on my back. Wow. Um, just how much he was moving. But what they had me do was they said, okay, you're doing great. Let's just change positions. Let's have you lay on your back for a little bit and push. And I'm, I remember thinking like, this is worthless. I was, I was so close to having my baby over there, (laughs) but they were putting hot compresses on me and I can't, you know, you can't say for sure if it made a difference, but I didn't tear at all. And the like these women are switching out these uh hot washcloths in that area like getting it ready for the baby to come out and that was amazing yeah that's really important it it took hindsight to realize why they had me lay on my back and it's, it's also I think to give it a break and like just make sure your body's warmed up and ready to to push a baby out yeah So yeah, that was amazing. If you can get anyone to do that for you. I love that. That is something I'm noting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, and then if you do tear, how do you want that handled? Um, this is something I didn't really research, but my doula put in like handle it with lidocaine and sutures. Um, and so I actually don't even know what the other options were, but that's what was in my plan. Yeah. I'm trying to think I had a small tear and it was a lot of, I think I had lidocaine. I definitely had the sutures, but yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. And then, so I think we're up to the birth. Yeah. After that or during even what you, yeah. There. Like, yeah, so I birthed, um, I, I said I had him in the bathroom. Um, and so some of the things we had on the birth plan were we did want the skin-to-skin contact right away, um, which was, yeah, there's there's just a lot for bonding that was important to us that I didn't want someone taking my baby away for you know, all the stuff they have to do right away. I wanted to hold my baby and um, preserve the vernix. Um, So I don't know, is this something you considered in the hospital or that they let you do? Actually, yeah, that was something that I wanted to do as well. And um, I did put that on my birth plan was that I didn't want him to get a bath. Yeah. So I think they did end up, and this was just, you know, such a, blur but I think they did rub some of it off but it wasn't completely off so that was kind of I guess a little bit of a give and take there but um. yeah and I do think that um because I wondered about this too like because you the the vernix has a lot of probiotics and there's benefits to keeping it on the, the skin but they wrap the baby in a towel right away. I'm like, well, doesn't that wipe off the verdicts? And they're like, yeah, but the babies need heat. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. so yeah, a lot of it will just get wiped off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Little, so, we tried that. But. Yeah. But I don't think we bathed him until after his cord fell off. So about eight days, um, 
was what the midwife recommended. Yeah, just about what we did. But ours was a little different with my son having hip dysplasia. So the bath situation was, <laughs> you know, oh. rolling with the unexpected there. But okay, yeah, yeah, but um, skin to skin for sure. That was something I was worried in the hospital that they were going to just take him away and like yeah. do all the procedures. And like I mentioned, this hospital was, it actually did impress me with how they handled mother baby interactions and the rooming in and all of that. But I was able to get him right away, <laughs> right on me. So that's wonderful. Yeah, that was important. Um, and then just with that, being able to nurse mm-hmm. right away, um, does the hospital, like some hospitals, want the baby to get formula or um or do you want to do you want to breastfeed and so that was something like part of our skin to skin was trying to nurse right away and the nursing can help with the placenta delivery as well so Mm -hmm. that was something we started right away Um, um something else that is worth thinking about is delayed cord clamping for Right after delivery, um, I know in my experience, the hospital wasn't super into it. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't even remember their reasoning, honestly. It's crazy. It was just two years ago, and I don't remember. But they did let me do it for, it was, a, it was like 30 seconds, maybe. But it wasn't until the cord stopped pulsing. It wasn't as long as I would have <laughs> let it go. Yeah. Um, but so if that's yeah, something... There is a lot of evidence around that with iron that yeah. there's a lot of blood in the cord and breast milk does not have iron in it formula does so if you're planning on breastfeeding getting baby the iron stores from birth is very important and if you're planning on formula you're you're going to get that iron from the formula um, I think it's mandatory in all formulas, so mm-hmm. that's not as big of a concern. But yeah, the delayed cord clamping will give baby enough iron to get to that six-month mark when they start eating. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like ours was very delayed, and it was, again, kind of a blur, but I, I want to say it was at least five, ten minutes. Oh, that's um, great. But... Yeah. So, um, then something that was on my birth plan was no Pitocin for the placenta to let the placenta come out naturally. That did not end up happening for me. Mm. Um, it, I, I think my placenta took close to two hours, which is a story for another day. Uh Um, so after this, this unmedicated birth, I almost was in the hospital for the placenta, but, oh my goodness. um, so I did need two shots of Pitocin, uh, one at 15 minutes, one in an hour after his birth. And that was fine. Like it was whatever I could do to help it along, even though it didn't seem to help very much. And my doula, this is something that I'd be interested in researching. My doula wondered if it's the the MTHFR that um, kind of delays your reaction to certain drugs. Like I don't seem to get a lot of relief from pain medication. And so it just might not have this immediate effect like it has on other people, but I don't know. It, it, it didn't seem to work that well, but it it was the least of my concerns at the time was getting Pitocin with, 
my baby there. Right. And my dad was waiting downstairs to like, he wasn't there for the birth, but my mom called him after. And uh, he's like waiting down there for the placenta to come out. So he could, <laughs> so he could come up. But, um, so I guess since we're talking about placenta, um, something people are tending to do more often is the placenta encapsulation. So if you have a wish like that of saving the placenta, like putting what to do with that in your birth plan, um, I'm sure we can go into this more with like birth story or something. I did have my placenta encapsulated and I don't think I'll do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, just the more research I've done, I think maybe some of those hormones are meant to not be present after baby's born. Um, But for some people it works really well. Um, I I just don't think personally I would do it again. So, yeah. Yeah. We did. We, I chose not to go that route and I think I stand by that. And I think it's really helpful for some people, but I just, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. And it was, um, interesting. My acupuncturist really highly recommended it because of things that you lose during labor, like, um, iron and uh, like certain nutrients that are really dense in the placenta, but there's really no evidence in Chinese medicine that they, they did use placentas to, um, build up people that needed it, but it was used more often in things like menopause or than, than actually like immediately postpartum. So something to look into. Yeah. (laughs) Using something like liver um, rather than a placenta might be an easier way to build up after birth. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I'm not against it. It's just like a slight, like I tried it. Um, I had some troubles with breastfeeding or some other hormonal things. So I think I'm going to try not doing it this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So a couple other things to think about for yourself and your baby after birth are whether or not you want uh, vaccines right away. I know happy they usually give right after birth. So that's not something that I'm going to get into, but if that's important to you, it's worth looking into. Um, Yeah. And I think if you, if you or your husband have hep B, don't even consider not getting the shot. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. Or even someone that is going to have close contact with your baby Mm -hmm. before they get the shot. Um, If you, if you have anybody close to you that has hepatitis B, get that shot immediately. But yeah, we don't have to go into it, but it is transferred through blood. Um, So when, when you need that shot will kind of depend on a lot of those circumstances. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. But that is why it's generally recommended to every baby. So they don't contract it. Right. Right. From people they're in contact with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then of course, whether you want to nurse or, or do formula, um, that is completely up to you. And that is something that's definitely worth noting on your birth plan. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but I know 
nursing was very important to me, at least to try. Of course, I didn't know how it would go. But a friend of mine who had a baby just a couple months before I had my son, she was at a completely different hospital, but they almost forced her to do formula. Yeah. Um, so if that's something that you feel strongly about either way, that's definitely worth putting in writing and telling your providers. And talking to them before the baby's born. Yeah. Making sure that they understand that. Yeah, definitely not a game time decision. (laughs) But, and then if you have a boy, circumcision is something that is worth researching and putting on your plan as well. Um, I know some people feel very strongly one way or the other. So it's worth looking into and deciding for yourself how you want to handle that. And then with that, there's the vitamin K. Um, that's something that I think you need a hundred percent of the time if you are circumcising. So if it's a boy and you circumcise, you need that vitamin K to, um, to not get infection. But in other cases, there's, there's options like drops or not doing the vitamin K at all. Um, it depends on your provider. Um, but those are, those are some of the options for that. And then you also mentioned the eye, uh, the eye, the eye ointment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I'm not sure. I think that's still across the board. I can't say for certain, but I know that was something that the hospital I was in, it was mandatory. So, okay. That was, yeah. Yeah. But that, again, that's worth looking into. And if your providers are willing to not do it or, you know, it's just a conversation worth having. Like we've said, it's just, all of these are just really things worth digging into deciding for yourself and having this conversation with your care provider. And even if it's like you said, if you research it and it's really important to you and your hospital says it's across the board, you can still refuse it. And they might say, we're going to call DCFS, we're going to do whatever. And um, oftentimes those are empty threats. Um, So it it just depends like what's really important to you. Um, You know, some of these things like is the the eye thing really going to harm your baby or is it worth fighting over? Um, It's up to you. Yeah. Um, Because I don't think... Uh, we didn't do it. Um, and I don't remember what it's for, but I think it's for, um, I think, and I could be wrong. So don't quote me on this, but I think it's for STDs or something, something that could like chlamydia that could be passed along yeah, as you're giving. You're right. so. so, and that is something that I was tested for twice during my pregnancy and yeah. they're usually pretty thorough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, but I, it wasn't that I was against it. It was just, you know, my midwife was like, oh, do you want this? And I'm like, eh, I don't think I need it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's different depending on your provider. So sure. Um, and then, of course, follow up care. Yeah. When, when you get to see your doctor and when your child will see the pediatrician. Um, I don't know. They pretty much made me go at six weeks. and. They had, you know, when I was in the hospital, the doctors, I think I had two (laughs) different ones again with the various providers come in and um, 
you know, check me out and whatnot, but yeah. Yeah. I think, um, because I had a home birth, they left pretty soon after the birth and then came back at 24 hours to do like the heel test and all the tests they do on the baby. But she also came back several times, uh, because I had trouble breastfeeding and that's, that's probably a whole episode on breastfeeding, but, um, mine was, my care was a little bit different, but I did go in at six weeks to get the, the exam that you get. And then we had my son met as pediatrician for the first time at six days old because he didn't come to the hospital. And that was just um, an appointment we had set up after he was born that we we talked to him ahead of time, said we'd like to use you as our pediatrician and set that up. But um, that was our first appointment with him. We actually didn't have a pediatrician picked out for whatever reason. And we kind of chose there, which okay, I don't know if I would recommend that. <laughs> okay. But this is one of those instances where, you know, I, I, I guess for as much as I didn't want that to be part of my plan and I didn't, you know, go with who I wanted to go with care provider wise, I'm grateful for it because my son did end up having hip dysplasia and that was caught by a doctor, a pediatrician that was just doing the rounds at the hospital. And I don't know for certain because I did not go through a home birth or um, a birthing center. And I would imagine it's across the board, but they caught it right away. And if we would have waited until he saw his pediatrician, he would have been that much older, that much more time out of the brace. And I think that it was three months is a long time, at least for me and as a brand new parent to see your child in a brace. But that was something that I'm glad we could take care of earlier yeah Um, so you know it's just things you don't think you'll have to think about but you do (laughs) all that under parenthood (laughs) yeah there's there's a lot of unknowns Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well one last thing I had on the on my birth plan was photos and this is actually something I wish I had more of, uh, I kind of thought that my cousin who was there would take some pictures and, uh, I don't have a lot from my actual birth. I have one photo that I absolutely love and I, I kind of wish I had a little more and actually got to see it. Like, yeah, not everybody's into that, but I would totally go back and watch my birth. (laughs) I'm I'm with Um, you. I would do it. (laughs) Yeah. So that might be something I do a little more with the second and uh, even the newborn photos, we didn't end up getting a photographer and I wish I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wish that would have been on my plan because I, again, I didn't want people in the room, but I wish I had photos. So yeah. that's going to be something that I think I change if we get to do this again, but yeah, it's just so special. <laughs> it is special. And no matter what you choose on a lot of these decisions, it's going to be special and amazing. And people think a lot about the birth during pregnancy and becoming a parent, like in having a baby and preparing for that is, is a lot more important in the long run, but feeling comfortable and empowered. I I like the word empowered that you're becoming a mom too. So being a part of that transition can be really powerful and just thinking through these things, but yeah. Yeah. either way you're coming out a mom. Yep. And there's no wrong way to do it. There's not. 
Nope. Um, a lot of these things that seem like such a big deal, it's, it's just not. Exactly. Yeah. You just want to meet that person and you're ready oh, and before they get here. It's okay. <laughs> it's totally okay. Yeah. But yeah, knowledge is definitely power though. So. so that's that. Hopefully that gives you all a little bit of insight as to what to expect, um, what to put on your birth plan, things to consider, kind of our experiences and how to make those choices for yourself and your family. Yeah, it was great talking to you about this. Yeah, yeah, you too. All right. Um, thanks for listening. Yeah, bye. <laughs> Email us your questions at nourishedandnurturing at gmail.com and find us on Instagram at nourishedandnurturing. You can find more from me, Marissa, at confidentlybalanced.com. And you can find more from me, Michelle, on Instagram at Michelle Taggy. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you liked what you heard and share it with a friend. We look forward to talking to you next week.